How you doing, Brian? Hey, Nick. I'm good. How about yourself? I'm not doing too bad. We just had a great conversation with Roselle. Yeah, we went a little bit deeper into uh, you know the technical than uh, we always than we often do, I should say. Um, but uh, but that's good because we covered some territory that I think is really critical um, for leaders in any variety of fields, and that's you know what. Uh, the importance of things like uh, quality control, configuration management, project management uh, actually mean to staying consistent with your delivery. No, exactly. And right now, everything agile or scrum is super popular, right? And it's popular even outside of the software world to the point where you see design thinking popping up places where you don't normally see it. You're seeing people doing sprints um, with different things. And some of the the tech tools are, were pretty popular, like Trello with the sprint board kind of, <laughs> you know, doing, done, uh, sure. working, you know, that's like super popular. So it was kind of kind of cool to, you know, drive in and get a little nerdy conversation on on some agile methods and, and um, quality. It was. And our guest, Roselle, you know, he's got uh, about 25 years experience doing that and has come up through uh, really from from, you know, the bottom ranks all the way up through the director level uh, and has has worked for some pretty sizable companies along the way. So uh, part of what I appreciated about uh, his approach in the conversation was he shared a lot of anecdotes and had a lot of key insights that are areas that you and I tend to touch on that we qualify the essential skills, right? Others might yeah, call exactly. the soft skills, but uh, uh, things things as important as communication and uh, uh, being able to uh, convey a vision to, to all of the folks who are making up the working parts of uh, what your delivery is all about. Yeah, no, that's, and, and that's a great point. Um, the first 10 minutes of our conversation probably were nothing technical based whatsoever. Um, <laughs> so with that, I guess that's a good point. Let's just let the listeners get on and, uh, with the show. All right, let's do it. Thanks for joining us for another edition of lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And today we're joined with our special guest, Roselle Cawthorn, who is a director of quality. And, you know, Roselle, you're going to have to define what that is because, uh, you know, looking at your LinkedIn profile, I mean, we got director of quality all over the place. And uh, so I want you to give us a little bit of your background and then help us understand um, what does that mean? Because I can't think of a cooler title than director of quality. Well, 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 first, you have to be a quality individual, I think, is <laughs> <laughs> one of the fundamentals. Uh, no, so it's it has to do with uh, building software uh, and, and really the process and procedures around that, uh, because day to day you have to make decisions and, and that has to be risk based. So, you know, what metrics are you looking at? Uh, what factors do you, the teams need to consider? What skill sets are there? What tool sets you have in play? So a lot of factors, but bottom line um, is, you know, what decision do you have to do or make uh, that makes market sense, uh, that that keeps that, that leading edge, and that gets that product out to, to the market before the competitors. So you know, just looking at those factors, um, what time to market, what what products can get out faster. And then, of course, quality. Um, you, you don't want that product to be tested 
by your customer, you, you know, you have to have some measures in place um, that will ensure you're, you're meeting the requirement uh, that is performant, that uh, there's security uh, vulnerabilities that you've mitigated, um, things of that nature. So, um, so I, I kind of oversee all that. And uh, it's, it's making sure that you have a production-like environment that mimics the customer as close as possible. That's including data, you know, understanding uh, concurrent users, like what, how big is their industry, um, you know, things like that. And, you know, and then keeping up with technology. So, you know, everything's moving to the cloud, but not everyone started in the cloud. So how do you uh, care and nurture existing customers that want to transition over? How do you make sure that there's a good transition plan and that you're considering all the moving pieces? You know, so all of that you have to consider and, and, and make sure it gels, you know, in a cohesive fashion um, so that, that you're not making mistakes, or at least you're calculating the mistakes, I should say. Um, so, you know, it's just it's that, you know, all housed in a, 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 a software shop, a development shop. Mm. Yeah. You, you've been doing this for a while. I have. Uh, yeah. And uh, interesting enough, um, it's not what I went to school for. I went to school. Um, <laughs> who, who does? Right. <laughs> right? Nobody. Nobody. Right. Does. <laughs> so I think Nick started out with knife throwing or basket weaving or something like that. And now, now look at him, you know, that's right. His mom is wondering what she did with that investment. Anyway, um, <laughs> not making a lot of baskets right now. That's, that's right. Right. Um, so, um, what, so yeah, I started out by my undergrad was biology permit, uh, actually. And, uh, you know, about, I, I did a proposal to do genetic research and you, you know, some of that story, but, sure. Um, I did one of my three jobs in college, uh, was, um, a PC specialist. And I, that's where I had gotten introduced to computers. And, um, and so, you know, the thing I kind of, what it bakes down to is, you know, I like challenges. I like to have to problem solve. And so I, I do that, you know, day in, day out. Sometimes they call me even at night. So, uh, so it kind of sticks consistent with, you know, what I love to do, which again is, is to problem solve, get it, get a problem, figure out what the options are and, and try to make the right decisions. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what your first foray into, uh, you know, quality management uh, with software development, configuration management, uh, all of that, where, where did that, uh, where, where did that path begin? And, and what are some of the challenges that you've gone through with, some of the company experiences that you've you've had yeah so i actually started out a, at a help desk um uh so it was a uh we had to support it help desk so it started there and then i uh i moved into qa as an automation engineer so i used to uh, code um to write software automation so that's mimicking a user in the keystrokes and you know that type of thing so i i programmatically wrote that and that's one of the big things and reducing your time to market is having this automation that can you know um mimic a thousand users you know and what they do day in day out and and bring in you know where it would be a manual effort you know a couple of months bring it down to a couple of hours and and that's the the 
the secret sauce, if you will. <clears throat> so I started with automation, understanding automation techniques and, you know, um, just the, the procedures there. And then uh, back in the day, remember when businesses would actually pay for your, your schooling. So I, I actually got my master's and, uh, and in one of my engagements um, noticed that there wasn't much structure, you know, it was, you know, control chaos and, and I'm light on control. Um, and so <laughs> I had to start using those skills that I picked up in, in my master's degree, uh, which was in my MBA and uh, I actually started managing that project and uh, bringing some some cohesiveness and structure there. So so that's kind of where I started out with my management piece of, of things and uh, bringing the world, the two worlds of automation, you know, from a technical standpoint, understanding, you know, what, what goes on, on under the hood. And then my management skills was a, a good, a good blend because I think what one of the challenges is, you know, a lot of times you, you to be able to communicate to, to a tech person uh, and, and language they can understand and then translate that to the business can be challenging. And so being a conduit between the two, I think, uh, and being able to communicate effectively, I think that's uh, what, what has helped me be successful. Um, the challenges I found is, you know, a lot of times leaders want, they want to do everything themselves. And uh, what that does is creates a dynamic where you you hire the most talented people, but you don't give enough of the reins over for them to take ownership of what they need to do and what they know to do to be right. You know, so you know culturally, it causes gridlock because you're you're single threaded on this one person who's the manager who does want to do they want to do it all, and um, so I've learned that dynamic of you know, being able to cast enough of the vision, but then trusting the talent that you have in-house to do the job that you have uh, hired them to do, you know, and giving them enough rain and, and having effective checkpoints to where, again, you can touch, have a touch point on the vision to make sure the work is aligned to that but also giving them safety to where if there is a mistake, it's more about, okay, what can we do differently moving forward? Um, and that builds your people, you know, that's what you want to do. You want to, you, you've heard the term of working yourself out of a job, you know, <laughs> sure. you, you want to free yourself up because of what, what a lot of leaders do. They're so far down the weeds that they're not high enough to see where you're going. You know, and sometimes um, you need those cues to be able to course correct and, and adjust to go in the right direction. But if you're too far down, uh, you, you can't you're not looking up enough to, to guide the ship. And, and then you're not building a strong enough force um, to be empowered to, to make some decisions. And I think it's a big thing. You know, there's a big word, I, I think, uh, empowerment. Of, of your people, there's that's key in creating that culture. Uh, you want to empower your, your people to know that you trust them and that you have given them enough um, uh, leeway to make mistakes. You know, there, of course, it's calculated mistakes, but how do you grow if, if you don't make a few mistakes to where next time that comes up, you have experience to, to 
apply that that practical knowledge and and make the right decision or, or incorporate that in the decision you're making. So, you know, I think there's a lot of nuances in, in being a leader. It's not just um, a title, but it's understanding the dynamic of people and, and understanding how they work and and how to motivate them in, in the right way. And I think um, in one of the books we will talk about a little later um, is ha- that being a motive by being a leader to to want to see your your people grow. That's one of the things I think mm-hmm. uh, is, is a big push for me. Uh, if if the the people that work for me a year from now haven't grown and and aren't empowered to where I see them making calculated decisions with confidence, then I feel me as a leader, I, I, I need to course correct. I need to do something differently. You know, why, why aren't my folks making decisions that they should be able to make? <clears throat> Is it because I haven't communicated the, the vision with a certain level of clarity? Uh, is there not enough safety to where they feel if I take a risk by making a mistake, um, you know, that, that, you know, the wrath of, of whoever would come crashing down on me? You know, is it, is it something within the culture? Is it something in, in what I'm not communicating? So I, it gives, it's a good reflection on, on my leadership style if I, I'm not seeing the growth uh, from my folks that, that is important for them, their career and, and the organization as a whole. Well, you covered a lot of territory there, and uh, I know some of what you said is, <laughs> is music to Nick's ears and mine because uh, a lot of these themes are things that we've talked about um, at length. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not off in the weeds somewhere. Oh, no, no. I, no, you're not. I think we cover a lot of those things, and I, I think you brought up a good point there initially when you are just talking about the, the first step of leaders. You hire people, and you need to trust you them, have right? You trust them, yeah. And we're so used to that, you know, some people are used to that old school mentality where it's like, I'm the boss, you need to trust yeah. me. Yeah, like, you know, like, I don't give trust, you have to earn it, you have to earn my respect when you hire people to do a job, right? So let them, let mm-hmm. them do it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> trust, but verify, you know, trust them until they give you a reason not to trust right. them. Um, and because, you know, micromanaging doesn't, doesn't work. work on it's any counterproductive, level. counterproductive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And you saying trust was just like music to my ears. And I've said it so many times on this, on this podcast, you know, it's like, you need to trust your people to do the job that you hired them Mm -hmm. to do. And then you don't have to row the boat or steer it. You just got to make sure it's heading the right Right. direction. Um, (laughs) That's all, you know, that's what a lot of leadership is. It's just relationship building, right? right? And trust. Mm -hmm. And people building, right? I mean, you know, if, if you, if there are areas of weakness, I think, you know, um, one of the motives should be how do I build my people up and and the areas are weak. So one, I think, is awareness, but actually having a plan to build them up and and um, and moving them in the right direction and giving them, you know, feedback to course correct, I, I think, is a, a, a important role of, of a leader. Yeah, I like that you brought up um, talent development or succession planning. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times leaders don't think about that, right? They worry about the junior leader behind them that's coming up, getting too much knowledge, and then, you know, probably overtaking them. Right. When really you should be grooming somebody to take your job over, Absolutely. right? That's what you should be doing. I mean, at least I know for me as a leader, I'm happy when the people that 
I groom are better than I am. I want them to be better than me. Right. Um, and, and I feel like a lot of times, you know, that, that fact of developing talent isn't really, really there. People will always say like, there's no talent. We can't find talent. Well, did you give your talent a chance to grow? <laughs> did you ask them, did you ask them what their aspirations are? Right. Um, career wise, did you help them become better people than they are now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, one of those things that us as leaders, you know, we had the responsibility to the organization, but then we also had the responsibility to the people that we're leading to help bring them up higher than where they are now. Right. Agreed. hundred percent. Yeah. I would add to that that, you know, part of the objection that I've heard from different folks who ascend to management roles uh, and again, keeping clear distinction between the idea of, you know, managers being leaders, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cer- certainly uh, there are leaders who are managers, but it, it's not. Well, Brian, uh, you got to be able to do both, right? <laughs> you have to be able to do both, but. Uh, you not, lead people and manage resources, right? Yes. Not everyone always yeah. finds themselves in that place, <laughs> despite what their title may tell others. Um, right. But, you know, one of those objections that I've, I've heard pretty consistently is that uh, when, as you say, Roselle, you work your out of a job, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the leadership opportunities that you're providing to those who are following you, mm-hmm. um, then you know, of course, there's fear that that means you're you're no longer in a position to uh, ascend or add value to the organization that you're in. Um, right. To to that point, you know, I I tend to say you're probably in the wrong organization if that's actually a fear factor for you. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, uh, other, if if you're surrounded by other people who are true leaders, um, that should be something that's recognized. Is that you're helping to elevate uh, all of those um, that are in your workforce, and um, as as the saying goes, right, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, right. If that's if that's not what's happening, then um, you're you're probably in the wrong organization to begin with. You're in the wrong boat. You need to. <laughs> right. <laughs> Get out and swim to another the, one. The, the wrong harbor. <laughs> the wrong harbor. That's right. No, I, but I. I mean, to that point too. So, you know, um, to those that quote unquote want to ascend to leadership or a new role, I mean, there's an active responsibility there as well. I think a lot of people are waiting for opportunity. You know, and everyone knows or should know, and and if this is news to you, then there's some homework to do. But every person that I've elevated, it's not because I just pointed them out and said, hey, this this might be a good, you know, shot in the dark. It's more because they're already doing the job. I know Mm -hmm. for me, every time I was promoted, it's because I was already doing the job and it was just the title had to catch up with work I was already doing. I think there's there's something about a leader recognizing that as well and developing that that innate uh, organic uh, ascension to some form of leadership uh, and developing that. Uh, normally, you know, it, it, the work is already being done. You know, the the uh, brainstorming and the uh, contribution is already being done, and then the title catches up with with the person. That's right. So elevating from engineer of secret sauce to QA engineer and, you know, right, right up the, the chain there. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and, so, and it's, and it's, and it's finding, it's finding the problem. You know, there's, there's also, <clears throat> you have the people who complain a lot, but then you have those that see a problem. And, and that's the thing. 
it's about opportunity. You know, you you if you see a problem, become the solution. And 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 implement that solution. And that will also provide open a window for you as well uh, for leadership or, or just opportunity in general. You so, be, solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And um, and that also you know provides those opportunities for you. Yeah, those are sage words. I can think of some folks who could benefit from that phrase. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> um, one thing I want to ask you about Roselle is, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I love hearing that. Honestly, if you see a problem, become the solution. Um, you know, uh, agility is uh, one of those terms that uh, I, I notice ends up in in your title and descriptions of your work pretty routinely. And uh, it's another of those terms that, in my experience, I've found to have a bit of buzz factor to it, right? Um, A a lot of folks feel like they've got to figure out, how do we squeeze that in somewhere? Um, (laughs) And uh, I know you and I were talking a little bit before the show uh, about, you know, certain managers who don't really come from uh, an agile uh, type of background um, mm-hmm. Once they learn a little bit about it, they're like, okay, well, we're just going to appoint someone scrum master. There it is. Now right. we're agile. <laughs> but there's a lot more, there's a lot more to it than that. Walk, walk yeah. us through what that means to you from, a, uh, from both a management and a software development perspective, if you could. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think, you know, big picture is being able to um, receive and, and have your pulse on market cues. You know, so trends happen. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times you have a backlog that, you know, you, you've developed six months ago, you know, and I think, you know, your organization being able to respond to what the market is telling you is is important. Um, and and having tools, <clears throat> excuse me, and levers to, to be able to adjust is is something you you, you want your organization to be able to do. Um, and so, you know, build, building practices where you can do that. So you have your your product backlog that you groomed, you know, six months ago. Um, but but also, you know, sprint over sprint. If I need to make a course correction, being able to pull that in and having ways to say, OK, now we have to make a decision. You know, that some sometimes there's trade offs, you know, and being able to understand what those trade offs are, pull in some of the more pertinent work from the market, um, you know, as far as functionality is concerned, is, is important to be able to do. Um, so so that, that's just, you know, at, at a base level. But the, the thing about it is, is being able as a manager to, to, um, to facilitate that. So I, I've been in situations where, you know, you have a CEO that will run down the hall, go directly to a team and say, hey, we need this thing changed. And what do you say to the CEO? All right, we, we, we'll get that tomorrow, you know, that type of thing. But um, having some a firewall, so having a management team that will not disrupt the team and understand that if you pull work in, it needs to be at a sprint boundary, mm-hmm. you know, to protect the team, because that often causes a lot of stress because there's a lot of work that goes into it and to be able to to need to context switch. So I'm working on widget A and you come to me in the afternoon and I have to switch context from widget A to widget B. 
you know, is stressful to a team. So having that firewall, that management level that one can push back and really challenge to say, you know, CEO, how important is that to get in tomorrow? You know, and and how important is that widget, you know, getting in to tomorrow uh, important in, in contrast to widget B that we've already planned, you know, so you have to make them do some trade-offs. So, so having the agility to respond to the market is one thing, but also having guardrails in place to, to uh, protect the team, I think is, is that sweet spot that you have to have, or otherwise you burn your people out and you cause a high level of, of attrition. It, it's, it's really difficult. Or you fail to deliver, and that's, uh, or you that's, fail, that's you equally fail. as harmful. <laughs> well, you, well, you're you going to get that changed tomorrow, so. <laughs> yeah, you, you, fa- you fail to yep. deliver or you deliver with poor quality is is real. the reality of, of making mm-hmm. a decision like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, sorry, go ahead, Nick. No, oh. no I, I like that you pointed out that, that uh, agile thing, Brian, and about, you know, we, we just get a scrum master agile, right? And then there's there's downfalls with that. Like there's there's a whole process and system and everything that goes with it. That that that's all I was gonna say. I mean, I've seen it enough times that where people just say, "Well, we're just gonna do sprints and no." <laughs> well, well, it's control. It's control waterfall. A lot of times is is what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Um, you know, from a f- making that distinction because I think there are so many. Um, if you don't come from some kind of uh, development work that is iterative in nature, uh, then it can be harder to understand how these projects need to be broken down in a way that's modular to manage them effectively. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's a, it's a buzzword right now too, right? Like software development and, and that, you know, iteration design thinking all that stuff's super popular right now. So people just think if they do a sprint, right. they're doing agile, no. right? There are definitely nuances that, uh, that need to be taken into consideration. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of those nuances that I think about, uh, you know, is sizing. I, I don't know how much that's factored into some of the work that you do, but you know, in, in my background, um, in agile software development, that's, that's one that has always been important to me. And uh, mm-hmm. in fact, I still have a, a, a scrum sizing deck of cards, right? <laughs> oh, can, the card deck, yeah. You, you know, you can pass out to your team. And, um, and, and you know, whether whether you're identifying things as a one, a three, a five, something, whatever it is, you know, um, I think the idea that uh, you share a common vocabulary among the team, that you all have a uh, clear definition behind why you get to those sizing metrics so that if you uh, if you have a task that is uh, a two-hour um, client-based configuration you know maybe that's a one right? right but depending on what type of project you're working on or how uh, slim your staff is um, you know maybe that would be a five right so um, making sure that everyone's on the same page in terms of how they're sizing the work so that you can determine what's going into a sprint at any given time. Uh, in my own experience, that's been um, one of those critical factors. Uh, and I'm kind of curious, you know, do you have a similar approach to, to how you've worked with uh, scoping work and level of effort with your teams uh, as you're developing what a sprint looks like? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think, um, you know, one of the, the big things is, you know, making sure everyone's at the table. Um, 
Uh, so a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll look at the development effort, but then you don't uh, consider the QA work, you know, as a task. And, and I think a big part of that is really understanding what your definition of done is, mm-hmm. you know, and making sure that point estimate is built in. So if there's infrastructure support, if there's performance testing, security testing, is if there's, you know, your automation effort, all of that um, needs to be taken in consideration if that's a part of your definition of done, you know, making sure there's consensus on what that means, because it means different things to different people. So having alignment there, making sure that's baked in and, and then, you know, doing your due diligence, you know, making sure that, you know, in your planning, you know, what, what we're looking at right now is BDD behavior driven development. And a lot of that is, you know, um, before I design even, you know, one line of code, I have taken the due diligence to bake out my uh, acceptance criteria. So if I have a more solid blueprint, then the building is is less likely to lean, you know, and um, it's it's making sure you take time to to do that and you have the right specs and you had the right conversations because, you know, it's a lot less expensive to have a conversation as opposed to designing a thing, testing a thing and finding out it's wrong and then going back and developing it again. You know, if we can have effective conversation, drive out all of the derivatives of a use case from a customer standpoint, get that into acceptance criteria and then develop it, then 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 we, we've increased our ability to be effective. Yeah, that's great because, uh, you know, I think a lot of organizations come from an environment of BBDD. Mm-hmm. BBDD. Yeah, bad behavior. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of figured the first part was bad behavior and I was like, I don't know what the rest is. But yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna nod my head like I know what we're talking about. Can we can we just give a disclaimer not for no one to look that up on Google? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Disclaimer. May, may end up with a naughty filter somewhere. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please don't do this at work, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think another uh, component of that is, uh, you know, interdependencies, right? Where where do you have downstream impacts by making changes in something, um, which again, I think fa- factors into what you've been talking about uh, related to the quality control, mm-hmm. um, right? Uh, so there there are great ideas. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about from a leadership perspective, how does decisioning uh, around what features are in and which have to be prevented from being allowed to be in scope, um, particularly when it comes to, you know, an understanding of what the overall design is, that if we if we add something new, uh, it either lengthens, you know, the overall delivery of the sprint, of the project, of, you know, the, uh, the completed feature set, um, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. how, how, how do you tackle those challenges? Well, some of that happens in, in, you know, when you do T-shirt sizing up front and, you know, it is a high level thing. It weighted jobs first. Uh, and so some of the factors are complexity. Uh, some of those factors are what are the precursors that need to be in place before we can design? Uh, some of it is ROI. So we put this out, you know, what's going to net us the, the biggest bang for our buck? How many customers can actually 
um, benefit from whatever it is widget A we're we're going to put into production. So, you know, all of these have a number. That's why it's you know it's called weighted. So these numbers come up and they're you know independent of each other. But at the end of the exercise, you know, you add all the numbers up and then you go to the next you know proposed item. You do the same thing and you know at the end of 20 items the numbers that you know you know kind of gravitate to the top are the things that add the most value has the lowest complexity you know can get to the market faster those types of things and then you know so it's not emotional at that point you know how that goes you know my this is my favorite project i came up with it it's my baby you know but if your baby is a 2 you know and we're going from you know <laughs> The, the highest value wins, you know, and then there's other things that are 20, then, you know, it's no longer about, you know, you de defending your fiefdom. It's more about what adds the most value to the business and you go from that. So it takes the emotion out and now we're dealing with facts and numbers. Um, so, yeah, that's how that's done uh, in, in practice these days. So you started in the help desk, which um, I feel like anybody who's worked in IT has done that at some point. Yeah. It's very humbling. Um, yeah. It's oh, a very man. humbling experience. <laughs> you know, you'll deal with end users who, you know, can't get their computer on because they haven't plugged it in. I mean, we've we've seen it all. We've <laughs> oh, all man. had that end user, right? Yeah. So how much of, of coming up is just honing your communication skills as as you go to that next level? Yeah, that that's what it's about. It's so <clears throat> I think that helped me in that, you know, you have to listen and understand and be able to process what the problem is. You know, and a lot of times in the meetings that I'm in that I facilitate, I have to just focus the meeting on what is the problem statement? What are we solving for in, in this space and time, this 30 minute block? You know, we, we only have this amount of time, but let's be laser focused on the objective we want to walk out of this room with. And so focusing on the problem, being able to hear what the problem is and then effectively address that problem. And then really at the end of a meeting, say, you know, have we addressed the problem, you know, uh, with, with a, a level of confidence, you know, being able to understand has really helped me uh, in facilitating meetings and, and being able to come up with the solution, really answering the question or the problem that's at hand, uh, I think has been invaluable to me. And, and the help desk, you know, <laughs> it can start out any uh, any amount of ways, but then, you know, being able to synthesize it to really, what are you asking about? You know, marriage has a way of doing that too, but I, that's a whole nother segment. Um, <laughs> that's a different podcast. That's a whole different <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I'm, as a matter of fact, can you just erase that? Um, <laughs> yeah, who edits? Anyway. Uh, well, well, Not we'll Brian. Brian doesn't edit. Brian, Brian does that. Okay, I'll slip you a point. To, anyway, going back to what was the problem? Oh, we were talking about problems. Okay, so so I think I think that um, that really helps, and then being able to communicate and communication at varying levels. So you have executive level, where you really have to talk about the ROI and understanding, you know, what problem you're solving for, and then the solution uh, and map, you know, create a, a silver thread through all of them because your solution has to then 
tie back to the ROI and why we need to invest the capital in the first place to, to you know, someone on the floor being able to have communication to say, this is the big why, and this is why we're doing, you know, this, this effort so they can really get behind the vision, you know, being able to communicate effectively at all levels um, has been, you know, I think, very valuable to my career. I like that. You know, the help desk is a good starting place for that, right? Because I agree. oftentimes you're dealing with people who aren't technical and you have to direct them in technical things. Mm-hmm. And then you do that as you move up in the levels, but it's, it's more, um, the degree of difficulty is much more higher. It's like how a system operates or, or like a user profiles or something like that, but you're still tapping into that knowledge of bridging that gap. Like you said, between the technical and the business units, um, right. being that bridge that mm-hmm. connects the two. Yeah, and uh, you know, speaking of quality, it's I think it's also the quality of the questions that you're asking. Uh, exactly. You know, part of part of what I heard you say, Roselle, is that uh, you know, understanding uh, the problem statement, right? Uh, right. Knowing your why, uh, you know, these mm-hmm. these are things that are key components and and uh, are oftentimes overlooked. So, uh, even from other senior leaders, right? Absolutely. And uh, and yep. and so. I think the quality of the questions that you're asking through your analysis is also one of those uh, key components that I'm I'm hearing you speak to. Absolutely, that, that's absolutely correct. Um, and then and then the level I think understanding the level of of who you're talking to 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 frame it in a in a way that adds value to what they're really asking. So understanding a person's objective, you know, if you're talking at the executive level. You know, they're asking a different question. They, they and it may be the same question, but the 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 substance of what they're asking for is different based on you know what what level you're interacting with as well. So understanding that dynamic is important. I like how you framed that. And I, like I going through your profile, I saw you were in the National Guard for a while, the Army. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with Jocko Willink um, at all. Um, you know, former Navy SEAL, pretty popular guy, has a popular podcast, but he always talks about this um, decentralized command, right? And giving your commander's intent. Yeah. And he's like, everyone from the top up all the way down needs to know what the overall mission oh, is yeah. and how they contribute to the success of that mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and his things like this, if you can thread that needle, then you can get buy-in much easier at every level. But they have to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Right. Well, and that's why I said, I mean, you know, toward the opening, um, being if if you're down in the weeds too deep, you're not able to see where the boat is going. So, you know, being able to cast that vision and, and make sure that it makes sense where people can get behind it is invaluable to the success and the culture, I think, uh, of your team and and for there being energy in, in the team, you know, if I'm just coming to work and I don't understand the goal, I'm just I'm going to get, you know, get a check. But I can't really get behind the vision because I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't understand how my day to day work is making a difference in the world or even this company. So how do I give energy? And I think uh, the the types of energy are different. If If my motivation is just to make a check as opposed to I'm, I'm coming to work because I'm empowered and I know the work I'm doing today will make a difference. I think it's a total different response from your employees. And I think a leader needs to understand 
how to motivate, how to how to get that the the right level of engagement from from the employees. You know, it, it's it's important to be plugged in enough to to be able to gauge that and and to course correct even in those situations. Yeah, that's well said, and it's it's more than just doing a, a quarterly. PowerPoint presentation, uh, you know, about yeah. your, your corporate numbers, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's setting vision. Just, you got to do more than performance reviews, right? Right. <laughs> to right. Me, that, that people really only do in December, at January and then rush in December to, to close them out. Right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Why would performance management be happening in real time on a routine basis? Like every day. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, well, you know, we've covered a lot of uh, great territory here, Rizal, and I appreciate you sharing a lot of your insights. Tell us a little bit about uh, something that has been more formative uh, to your own thinking. Uh, we, we chatted a little bit about uh, some type of media artifact that uh, that you found engaging or inspirational. What did you come up with? Yeah, so, um, you know, just I think from the practice of Agile and, and some of what we do day to day, uh, there's uh, there's a book called The Lean Startup, but uh, you know I think very um, pertinent to the conversations we've had. There's a book called The Motive, and uh, it kind of talks about you know depending on the motive of the leader uh, and how it impacts their employees differently. You know if if I'm in you know just to get my platinum parachute. You know, it may come across differently in how I manage and how I'm engaged with my employees. You know, if I understand uh, the impact a leader has on an employee and I know that, you know, one, I can infect, uh, uh, affect their work, but, you know, I can also affect their lives. You know, I'm going to respond and be engaged in a different way. And so, you know, I think we can gauge um, the response of our employees. And, and then we can also, you know, line that up with our motive. And if, if we're not getting the right results, then maybe we need to look at our motive, hmm. you know, and adjust our motive behind being there and, and, uh, and our responsibility, I'll say, but our opportunity or privilege to be able to impact someone's life in a, in a meaningful way. You know, I think if if we look at that, uh, engage that based on how our our employees are responding, are engaging with us, then that's information where we can um, we can adjust accordingly. Um, and uh, I, I think that's something we all should look at. Um, you know, what is our motive? What is our motive for for being in the organizations we're in? What's our motive uh, in our daily lives? Um, and, you know, even with our children, our family, you know, we can kind of use that as a gauge to, to course correct, you know, and, and make ourselves a better human being, you know, overall. That's great. And, and tell us a little bit about that. The first one that you mentioned, you said the lean startup. The lean startup is just it, it just kind of talks through, um, you know, the today's entrepreneur, um, like continuous innovation. So being able to be agile. Uh, being able to innovate uh, in, in a in a time frame that's um, that's responsive to the market, 
uh, and that makes uh, your business ultimately successful because you can adjust. You know, so yeah, I like that idea because a lot of startups now seem like it's a race to the most users and to beat the other competitor before who runs out of money first. Right. right. That's, that's what they seem like now. So I like, I like the idea of that book. Yeah. Um, cause I like, there's some startups I see their valuations and I'm like, they don't, they don't make any money. So like, why are they worth right. that much money? Um, it's just, it's ridiculous, but you know, the, the markets love tech oh, companies right now. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Roselle, thanks for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about uh, where folks can find you if they're trying to track you down. Uh, I, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I check that pretty regularly. Um, so uh, that that's one way to reach out to me. I, I think that's probably the best way um, or email, but I would try LinkedIn first. So Roselle Cawthorn. I'm, I'm the only Roselle uh, this side of the Mississippi. So. <laughs> 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 Love it. All right. Well, thanks for joining awesome. us. We'll today. be sure to put that all. We'll be sure to put that all in the show notes. Too. Okay. Perfect. So if anyone listening wants to grab it, it'll be right there for him. That, that's yeah. right. Right. No. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, if there are any questions, I, I'm more than happy to field uh, or, you know, talks like this, you know, I'm, I'm open to, to continuing the conversation. So yeah, just, just reach out. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time and joining us today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for the time. It's been great chatting. Um, I know there was some other things we want to talk to, so it just sounds like there'll there'll just be a part two. (laughs) Absolutely. Love it. Definitely. Appreciate it. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time. Have a great weekend. It's, uh, Thanksgiving is, is close, so I, you probably have to hunt your turkey, Brian. I'm sure I saw your musket in the background. That's right. Yeah. So, yep. uh, good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. All right, you right, take care. Right, no problem. Bye-bye.